Gentlemen, I want to preface this episode by saying I'm violently hungover, so I apologize if my uh, energy is not what it usually is, but <laughs> I'm going to try my very best. Yeah, that's what Sundays are for, Just recovery. Yes, absolutely. And uh, if you don't recognize that voice, ladies and gentlemen, that is CJ Vogel. He is our guest co-host for this entire episode this week. We thank CJ so much for coming on. You might know him best from sports update on instagram and i'm not gonna lie as a third party here between you two i for some reason even though i know like i've talked to you guys both individually i always felt like there was some kind of random rivalry even though i know that there's not i'm always like oh who's gonna get it first is it gonna be dan is it gonna be cj i don't know who's gonna pop up on the feed first it's it's cool to have you guys together yeah i'm glad to be here dan i mean i I, going years back on on the feed i mean like you said, it was, I always looked at your page as the one to be like, if he's posting, I got to post it. You know, there's got to be some some sort of back and forth going, you know. Uh, and it does feel like a long time overdue to sit down and talk sports with you because, I mean, as Peter was saying, I mean, if not the biggest sports news platform, you know, on Instagram, I mean, one of. And, I mean, it's it's been a blast over the years. Oh, it's great to talk to you. And I, I was talking to Pete last week a little bit about uh, all the different accounts. Uh, we, we talked about a few different ones. And uh, it's really just me and you that have been around for so long. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, people tell me like that they can't believe, you know, they followed me for seven, eight, nine years, and they can't believe uh, how long I've been keeping it up. And you've been keeping yours up for longer. Oh, Since, yeah. uh, February 2012, I think. I mean, right. that's, I, 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 don't, I don't even think I knew what Instagram was in February 2012. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's well, Dan, small. you're also younger than us, too. So <laughs> I started in middle school. The first post I ever had was the Knicks beating the Mavs or something like that on a random like Tuesday night. I'm like, all right, we're going to get this thing rolling now. So it was a long time ago. Yeah, no, mine was uh, a few months later, Ladanian Tomlinson retiring, and now he's been in the Hall of Fame for, I think, uh, like five and a half years or something. Man. So it, it's been a while. Great sure. to finally that's such a nice. That's such a nice first post. Like, <laughs> it just fell right into your lap with that one. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, LT retired. Like, It was like, it, was, uh, it happened in reverse. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to start an account and I'm going to wait for news to happen. Uh, it was like that happened. Uh, and I'm, I'm a, you know, we're both Jets. I Me and you were Jets fans, and I, I was, he was a, a Jet for the last two years of his career, and so uh, I, I guess the the news coming out motivated me to want to share it, and uh, that's how it was born. What a ride Before it's been. We, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm 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 just happy to be a passenger at this point too. So. <laughs> um, but before we really get down to the topic, CJ, I wanted to ask you one thing. I know you have a podcast now. I wanted to ask you and kind of like I wanted you to talk a little bit about that so more people can can know about it. Sure thing. Yeah, it, it's called the the High Four Star Podcast. Uh, I, I covered Texas and Oklahoma recruiting as, you know, the day job. Uh, and so the, the podcast is very college football centric, obviously, with the, the season right around the corner. I mean, lots of topics flying. Uh, it, it's It's been fun. I, I figure, you know, this is the best time to, to dabble into the, the college football world and I mean, I've got plenty of, of takes, you know, as y'all are, I'm sure, are, are well aware. So, uh, but yeah, it's certainly fun. It's, it's, you know, once a week, basically. So 
still in its infancy, basically. I was going to say, how many uh, episodes have you had? It's not many, right? I just wrapped up number five, so I'm, I'm oh, again. This right is on number the five. Train as well. yeah, this is number five. We're on the. Yeah, so you guys are so you guys are battling yet again. I mean, it's just inevitable with you guys. It's just always battling. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome, though, CJ. I'm really happy for. It. I know we spoke. Um, what in 2020? Right. I think it was right. We spoke, and I know that you were always huge on college football. So that's pretty awesome yeah. that you like your day job is literally college football. So that's really really cool. I'm, I'm happy that you kind of like manifested that for yourself. Absolutely. That's awesome. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen. Uh, this week was eventful at first, but then kind of died down. Yeah, so I think, of days I think a lot, yeah. a lot of what we're going to talk about may, might have happened five or six days ago, but <laughs> you know, it's still just as relevant. Oh, absolutely! And yeah. uh, well, we saw some of the relevance yesterday. If any of you guys are Yankee fans, I mean, Jordan Montgomery got traded to the Cardinals, shut the Yankees down like five days after he got traded. I knew it was going to happen then. I, I knew it. I told, I said to my dad, I'm like, Montgomery's pitching, he's going to shut the Yankees down. That's just how it's just how it yeah, always he- works. The only thing that made it uh, not look as bad is I think he left with a cramp or something like that. Good. I know he left He left a little early after five innings. And, you know, who knows what the headlines would have been if he went seven or eight, which he probably no. could have. But uh, you know, the Yankees were the busiest team at the deadline, I think you could say. We talked about – They were definitely one They were definitely one of them. Yeah. For I think sure. We talked at last week's episode. The, the last uh, topic that we did was – potential starting pitching targets for the Yankees. And of course I mentioned Frankie Montas and uh, they got him a day later, or maybe the, even the day the episode came out. Um, he, I think he, it was the day the episode came yeah, out. So yeah. he, he hasn't made his debut yet. He's pitching in uh, he's pitching today. By the time anyone was listening to this, he will have pitched. Um, but it, you know, the weird thing about that was like, all right, everybody thought the Yankees needed a pitcher. Uh, okay. They got one. They got a good one. And then Severino goes on the 60 day IL which wasn't really expected. So he's not coming back until mid-September. Uh, and then on top of that, they trade Montgomery. So in, in a sense, from where we thought we were a week ago, they kind of lost pitching depth. Uh, I think Montas is better than Severino or Montgomery right now. But in, in a way, they lost pitching depth. And you know, when you have to throw Domingo Herman out there every five days. Yeah, well, that's never a good thing. It's a little bit of yeah. an issue. Even though we pitched well at last night, it's a little bit of an issue. It surely is. Yeah, I, I, I didn't understand – that let like I loved everything that the Yankees did. I love the F Ross deal as well. I like that. And I love that the fact that they got Trevino on top of Montas as well. But Mon- trading Montgomery when you have Domingo Homeron in your rotation right now just didn't make sense to me. I I would rather parade Jordan Montgomery out there every five days than Domingo Herman. I mean, you never know what you're gonna get from Herman and and you know, Mon- Montgomery wasn't the most consistent pitcher either, but you know, you know that you're going to get a good 5-6 solid innings. You're going to get a quality start out of him more more times than not. He's a legitimate third or fourth starter. And uh it, I don't think he'll ever be really anything more than that. But when you're in a when you're in a race like this and you've got pitchers with an injury history, even Montas who had a little bit of a shoulder issue last month, uh, it's, he seems like a, a real reliable guy that you'd want to keep around, if nothing else, just as insurance. And if you really think he's expendable, you could trade him the offseason because he's uh, he's under contract through 2023. But uh, that's the choice they made. They I guess they really value Harrison Bader's glove. He's not going to be back until September. So it's a move that is directed toward next year just as much as it is this year. But it, it, it's a little it was a little confusing. I, I thought the Yankees were done at that point. And then when they made that trade, I thought they were going to get Pablo Lopez. 
And then mm-hmm. a minute later, it comes out that he's not getting traded. So it, it still leaves me a little confused. Yeah, I I don't want to make it obviously centered around the Yankees because there's actually a couple other teams that I really wanted to talk about. And then, of course, we'll get to the, the mega deals that happen. But, you know, a, a team that stuck out to me that actually, and I always criticize this team just because, uh, <laughs> but the Phillies really had a, a really good deadline. I mean, they definitely got better. They got David Robertson, who I feel like is like 49 years old at this point. Like, and he's always, he's got to be on like his 10th different team at this point, but they got David Robertson, they got Brandon Marsh, and they also got Noah Syndergaard. Now they did trade a couple good prospects, you know, Mickey Moniak is a former number one overall pick, but he hasn't panned out so far yet. He's struggling to adapt to uh, major league pitching. So I, I think that it was, it was a huge win for the Phillies, what they did. I mean, especially the bullpen has been an issue for years now. So even getting someone as old as Robertson, you know what you're going to get from him. He's going to be super solid. Syndergaard, I mean, he has pitched as good as I think we'd expect coming back from a big injury so far. And then Marsh is a guy that could turn into a, a really nice longevity piece for them in center field. Yeah, they got everything they wanted. They wanted three three positions. They wanted a center fielder, a starter, and a reliever. And they hit all three. So yeah. Props to them. And they did it with Syndergaard specifically. I mean – we, we talked about how, you know, in, in L.A. right now, it's not the same center guard that you expected off of that injury, uh, especially not the time that you saw him in the Mets when he was dicing people up at, a, you know, 99-100 every, every inning. But, I mean, he still has that, that upside. He still has, you know, a high ceiling that in Philadelphia, you're not expected to be that number one guy right away. You can come in, get six innings, quality outing every, every fifth day, and, if that's the case with Syndergaard specifically, I mean, that's a win for Philadelphia in this position that they're in right now, especially for what they gave up for him. So I don't think it's a bad trade. I think, you know, for the upside alone, you you have to go that route. Uh, for the price tag, it's certainly something that you roll the dice on and, you know, you, you pray that it's, you know, a fraction of what he used to be and it, it works out your way. So, yeah, I mean, if you if you now if you look at the Phillies rotation, you're going one through five. You're looking at Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Noah Syndergaard, probably what Kyle Gibson and Ranger Suarez probably yeah. round out the the rotation. That's pretty solid. Like you add Syndergaard in there, it, yeah. it automatically becomes a top half rotation. So as long as they get all pitched to the ability that we know that they can, especially Ranger Suarez. Last year he was <clears> – <throat> pardon me. He was awesome last year, and – he hasn't shown it as much this year, but if he could kind of get back to that same thing with Kyle Gibson, I mean, that was I mean, Kyle Gibson's year last year was an absolute fluke. I mean, what did he have like a two seventy nine ERA? The guy pitched to a five ERA his entire career. So a, you're never going to get that for a month or two. Yeah. Down in Texas. But no, yeah, so you're never, you're never going to get that again, but as long as he could pitch to maybe like high threes, low fours, that's more than doable. And he's been pitching very well lately. I know. I know it's the Nationals, but he took a perfect game into the seventh inning against the Nationals the other night. And yeah, and you could take a perfect game at least too. into the fourth inning against the Nationals. <laughs> Come on, Suarez was a dev last year. You're right. He most underrated pitcher in baseball last year. He was ridiculous between the rotation and the bullpen. But the you know the Phillies have the stars, right? They've got Wheeler. They've got Nola. Uh, they've got Harper coming back probably in uh, another month, maybe less. Uh, even Real Mudo, you, you could call him a star, and maybe Schwarber and Castellanos. Uh, but they need that depth. What they didn't have is that depth, and they still lack some defense too. But uh, but Marsh is a guy who's under contract through, I think, 2027. 
yeah, twenty twenty eight. But uh, he, he's really controllable long term, even though he hasn't shown it yet. Uh, he's probably worth the move. Uh, Syndergaard, they didn't give up much. They gave up Mickey Moniak, and like you said, you know, he he's he hasn't really found uh, his his footing yet in the majors. He actually hit. He think he has two home runs this week since he joined the Angels. So really? Maybe he'll benefit from the playing time that he couldn't get in Philadelphia. But uh, for a rental, for a, a, if you need a guy who's going to pitch a playoff game, I think Syndergaard's a good grab. And like you said, Robertson, uh, just proven. He's, you're right, he's 37, 38. He's been with the Phillies already one yeah. time. They need guys who they know they're, they're going to get a solid inning out of. I mean, you can't take your chances on on somebody who could flame out, and he's absolutely not somebody who's going to flame out. So, I give him credit I, for that. They needed the depth; they got it. Yeah, they definitely did well. I mean, there's still glaring needs on this team, and number one is 100 percent still the defensive factor. I mean, they did get better releasing Didi Gregorius and letting Bryson Stott basically play shortstop. You do get better defensively, but they're just still pretty. Probably the worst defensive team in baseball, I'd say. And then their bullpen still needs an absolute overhaul. So I'm thinking a lot of these moves, or maybe besides for Robertson, I'm thinking that they're probably going to sign Syndergaard long-term if he pitches admirably. And, um, you know, you kind of build from there. You're kind of building towards the future. But I think they did a good job. Another team that I think did really well, besides for the heavy hitters, obviously Yankees, you know, Padres, teams like that, even the Blue Jays, the Twins actually did a really good job. Yeah. As well, I was I was I was very happy with what they did. They they really addressed needs, their biggest needs basically. But then on the flip side of that, the, the team that I was most disappointed with was the Baltimore Orioles, because I know Dan. I know this is going to hit Dan because Dan loves the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> uh, but he's but I I understood trading Trey Mancini. I did, you know. Did we? By the way, Dan, you'll know this probably more than I will. What was the return on Mancini? Because I I never saw a report about what they got. In it, return. It, it was a it was a three team trade with the Rays, and the top prospect they got was the Rays number five or number six prospects a pitcher uh, who actually underwent they he underwent Tommy John surgery oh, this good. past week. So they they got him knowing that he was going to undergo Tommy John surgery, but it's a move for not just the not the immediate future, the distant future, like twenty twenty four. And beyond, and they got another pitcher from uh, the Astros, like their twelfth or thirteenth prospect. You know, it, it's tough trading a rental. You know, Mancini, as 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 beloved as he is, is still a guy who's only going to be there for two months. I think he's a great fit in Houston. He's already yeah. taken advantage of left field. I know that he lost the most home runs from the Orioles' new left field, so it's kind of the perfect fit for him. But yeah, I mean, is his is his return enough of a difference maker? Um, when you could potentially put your team into the postseason and get that fan base going, you know, I, I'm not an I'm not an Orioles fan, but I have kind of adopted them as yes, my uh, yes, you are. Then You're I've adopted Orioles them fan. as my side team this year, and um, <laughs> just because of how fun they are, and I, I really like how they've finally gotten the fans back into it. Uh, and to their credit, they're playing well. They're they're still playing well. I think they're a game or a half game out of a playoff spot as we speak. They've won four or five in a row. Um, but what, what really confused me more than Mancini was trading Jorge Lopez. Because, yeah. you know, if, if you're a small market team, you have to find gems like that, that are cost effective, that are under control for multiple years, that you can use uh, in a, a key spot, a key position. And in this case, he was their closer. Uh, he was under contract through 2024. He was a failed starter that they turned into a great reliever. He was Locked hot garbage as a starter. 
He was terrible. He was terrible. <laughs> he was terrible. I, I remember him pitching last year. I think he pitched against the Yankees a few times. Uh, brutal. And somehow they turned him into a great reliever, which has happened, you know, more than we can count. Uh, that that's actually what the the Royals did with the with Wade Davis, and he was a huge yeah. part of them becoming champions. So trading Lopez, I understand he was going to have to be paid a little bit through arbitration, but trading him when he's got two years left on his deal and you're within striking distance of the playoff spot, I don't really get it. I don't I don't I don't even remember their return for Lopez, but I don't think it was anything that special. Uh, so I that, think I have it. I think I have it here because I, I was just looking at it. Um, it was it was a it was like three prospects from the twins. So they definitely got, I guess, if you consider like the prospect value, I think they definitely got a good return for it. It's just a head scratcher of a trade. Like, cause like you said, I mean, he was an all-star this year. He's been pretty lights out, you know, and, and he was under team control. So it, it kind of puzzling to me, almost as puzzling as the Montgomery trade with the Yankees. But, you know, now, I mean, Got to address the elephant in the room. You, you got to address the San Diego Padres and what they did. And um, the, the, the first thing I want to say is within the next two to three years, the San Diego Padres front office better hope that they win the World Series. And I, I don't think they will, but they better hope that they do because the amount of assets they've traded to get, you know, Josh Hader, Juan Soto, Brandon Drury is – is crazy. And if you think about the trades that they made over the past few years and all the assets that they've given up, they're basically draining their entire farm system at this point. It's basically done. Yeah. You talk about windows and in, in football, you know, you have your quarterback on a good deal. You have your offensive line, your defensive line, like this is the time to win and baseball. You don't see it as often, but with the Padres specifically, I mean, there is no, bigger window for them to win and probably a harder close than any other team that we've seen in recent history. When that, that window closes, they're going to be, you know, out of luck to, to, to put it lightly. Uh, whenever that, that time does come, those, the, the stars on that team move on what they're looking at in their farm system now for what they had to give up to acquire the assets they just did at the deadline. It's looking kind of bleak now. And so you never want to talk about when now, like, Put all your chips in the middle in baseball because anything can happen, as we've seen with the Orioles is a great example that we just talked about, you know, vastly over, over, uh, you know, you know, over exceeding expectations. That was the that hangover in me right there struggling for work. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that that's exactly the type of position where they, they, they were in, you know, exceeding expectations. The, the Padres, we know what they need to do. They have the, the roster to do so. The front office has put them in a position to win right away and win now. If they don't do it, I mean, the future's going to look pretty ugly. I mean, the, the 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 thing that hit me the most, it wasn't even C.J. Abrams. It was Mackenzie Gore going back to Washington that really, really hit hard because, you know, you look – I mean, they just, they just signed Joe Musgrove to a well-deserved five-year extension. But beyond that, I mean, who do they really have under contract in the long term? Pitching wise, I, I mean, I know isn't you Darvish done after this year too? Like his he's, contract he's, is done. He's done after next year, but I mean, he's he's thirty five or whatever it is. So you know, he, yeah. it's not going to be around long term to begin with. Yeah, uh, I mean, we went from... hasn't signed an extension. Sean Manaya has had a real tough year lately. Yeah. So I, I don't know what their plans are with him, but he's not under contract long term. 
And uh, Blake yeah. Snell, I don't even know when Blake he Snell is. He, yeah. He's been better lately, though. He's been pitching better. <laughs> Him and Manaya are going on completely different paths. Manaya's been awful. And Blake Snell's actually started to become pretty reliable for them. But, you know, I don't know what their plans are, if they want to keep him long term or what. I mean, we. this is a team that if you even think two years ago, when, like, they had an, an absolute surplus of pitching. Like, everyone forgets about until he was traded i completely forgot about denilson lament i forgot about chris paddock like you know what i mean like these guys that you haven't seen they had an absolute surplus of pitching now it's kind of like you know besides for musgrove and honestly they acquired musgrove not thinking that he was going to be an ace he was going to be a back of the rotation guy now musgrove is your best far and away your best pitcher i think i I think i see a lot of similarities between the the Padres and the Los Angeles Rams you know that they, they they're so confident so the, the Rams are able to trade all those picks and spend all that money because they're so confident that they're going to be able to fill the gaps with guys they take uh, on day two and day three of the draft really day three um, the Padres I think have a lot of confidence in their ability to draft well and for good reason I mean look at the the guy that apparently the Nationals desperately wanted in that trade uh, was James Wood, and he was a second-round pick last year. Uh, one of the guys that they they actually didn't have to trade and they believe is going to be a big part of their future is Jackson Merrill, who was a late first-round mm-hmm. pick last year. I think the Padres are so confident in their talent development and their ability to draft. You know, C.J. Abrams is probably going to be better than a lot of the guys drafted around him. Uh, Robert Hassels, who was traded in that deal, is probably going to be – he already is better, at least as a prospect, than a lot of the guys drafted around him. I think the Padres are very confident in their ability to build that roster, build that farm system up using not just first-round picks, but draft picks all over the board, just identifying international talent, kind of like how they identified Tatis when he was a 17-year-old playing in the White Sox organization. So, you know, they're able to put all their chips on the table, but I think they don't believe that the window is exactly right now because they think they have these ways to fill the gaps in the organization. Uh, you know, and that's what the Rams have done. Like people say, how do the Rams pay for all this? And you look at their their uh, you know their payroll, and they're paying six guys big money, and nobody else is making more than a couple million because yeah. they're able to. Their entire offensive line right now, without Whitworth, is uh, day two or day three picks. You know, I don't mean to go too like off the ledge here, comparing two different sports, but I think the philosophy is very similar. That they believe we're gonna we're gonna put all our chips on the table, but also we have a an intelligent front office that's going to be able to fill these gaps with the assets that we no longer have. Yeah, Peter, yeah, it's just one of the guys, ahead, that, you know, we were talking about the pitching and kind of the pieces that the Padres have. One guy that wasn't even mentioned is Mike Clevenger, who when he was in Cleveland, I mean, he looked like he had the upside of becoming a number one, number two guy, like immediately. Uh, I know things kind of haven't worked out at least recently having missed all of 2021, but I mean, he still has that, that potential, he still is a guy that you can rely on every fifth day to walk out there and give you six or seven strong and do so while lighting up the, you know, the, the radar gun. So that's another guy who it, it kind of looks like the Padres are in a position where, you know, pitching was a desperate need. Now you're looking at it like, OK, like that team is built exactly what they're 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 looking for. And that's to make a deep run in the postseason. And it's with guys like uh, Clevenger and I. I like where they're at. You know, it's hard not to with the pieces that they've added. But, you know, even beforehand, you're like, oh, it's not a bad team. So, yeah, I mean, this has been a common trend now for, what, two or three years now with the Padres where it's like we're making – they're making big splashes. 
basically every single time that you see their their name on a transaction board. You know, they they are that team now that you expect are going to make some kind of big move either in the offseason or around the trade deadline. But <laughs> I mean, it's got to translate. Like we could sit here and talk about it all day where it's like, oh, you know, well, we love what they have. And I do on paper. I love what they have. But they've been doing this for two years now. Two years ago in the Mickey Mouse World Series, they got eliminated. What what was that in the second round? Like after yeah, that by, weird by first Dodgers. round, right? Yeah, yeah, but so in, in the NLDS, there. yeah, yeah, and they 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 missed the playoffs last year. They they completely underwhelmed last oh. year and missed the playoffs. Don't get so now, last year. so now we're we're now we're looking at it. That like, all right, come on, let's see at least some results. Like, I want to see the NLCS. I want to see you come within a game or two of making the World Series. I want to see some kind of substantial progress because you can make all the moves that you want. If it doesn't translate to at least some sort of postseason success, it's going to be a complete failure. I give him credit though, because if you don't get Soto, who does? Probably the Do- the Dodgers. I mean, you, you 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 can't let they already let that happen last year with Scherzer and uh, yeah and. I, I'm not sure they were looking to get Trey Turner, but you know you could even say Trey Turner because I don't know if that deal goes through without Scherzer being involved. Um, you, you can't let your division rival, even though they're clearly better than you, you can't let them keep getting better and widen that gap. You know, Soto. We talk about how we talk about their window and how they're set up long term. Soto's only 23. I mean, that, that's the huge reason why this deal went through with with uh, all those prospects because he is literally the age of some of those prospects he's going to be there for the next if he signs long term he's going to be there for the next 10 or 15 years he's not just a guy who's going to help you win now Uh, so they do have two of those guys they've got him and Tatis who are both uh, younger than 25 so I I think there's there's reason to believe that it's not just going to be a one or two year thing but you're right if this if if they don't win the next two years and then they have to go back to the drawing board with the pitching uh, and build a lineup around build the rest of the line about around those two it's going to be it's not going to look great for the front office yeah and it's funny that you mention you know soto long term because what is he under contract for how many more years after this through 2024 okay so yeah so now we're getting to a point where it's like you know, Soto's been, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, where Soto's been at the top of the mountain. You know, he's won the World Series. He had a home run in the World Series against Justin Verlander. He's been up there. He knows what it feels like. And then he was at the absolute depths of hell, being the worst on the worst team in baseball at some points in the Nationals this year. Last year, they weren't great either. You know, I'm thinking that if there's no substantial progress with the Padres and it's like, you know, we made all these moves to lose to the Dodgers again, or, you know, we got swept in the ALDS, the NLDS, or, you know, we, we, we lost in the wild card game, whatever it may be. You got to think Soto, that has to creep in Soto's mind where it's like, all right, like, am I going to go down this again? Because, you know, there's guys that are going to be free agents soon. They're, they can't sign everyone. It's impossible. You're not going to be able to sign everyone. You're going to lose some talent eventually. Do you want to go down the same road? We could be looking at the at the Padres in a few years being the Nationals. I don't think it's going to happen, but it could happen without even winning a World Series. At least like when Soto was in Washington, he won a World Series and then it all collapsed. It could collapse before they even they even get to the top of the mountain. So that's why I'm thinking that I, I can't really see Juan Soto sinking his teeth into San Diego for 10 to 15 years just yet. I think he's got to see 
where this team is going to go, at least wait until this offseason. You know, if they make substantial progress, make the NLCS or something like that, maybe there's one big piece away, which is crazy to me because, like, their lineup is absolutely stacked from top to bottom. What else could you possibly need? You know, like, and we haven't even mentioned Josh Hader. How, what, you know, how, how much better it makes that bullpen, too. But that's kind of what I wanted to ask you both on your opinion. What do you think Soto is going to do? Do you think maybe he just signs the extension, gets it out of the way, or he waits a little while and kind of, you know, sees what hand he's dealt here in San Diego? You know, I'm kind of of the contrary uh, belief to that. Not so much, you know, to wait and see what San Diego is going to provide me in a, in a postseason run. Where I would kind of lean towards Soto buying into the Padres before having seen anything is the people playing on that left side of the infield. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tatis, as you mentioned, he's at right around the same age as, as Soto. What more do you need for the next 10 years than another superstar who's going to help, one, protect you in the lineup, two, is going to be with you for the primes of your entire career on the same roster as you. The two of them alone I, will put you in that conversation to, to be a, you know, a, a postseason team. Uh, I mean, the window, we, I keep resorting back to windows, but when you have a guy like, like uh, Tatis and a Machado, already on the roster right now, that makes your life significantly easier than what it would have been just yourself on a team like the Nationals previously. And so I have to imagine he's going to have a longer leash with the Padres if that initial playoff success doesn't come right away. Uh, and so I'm thinking, you know, the, the reluctancy to sign a deal is going to be out the window as a result of that. Uh, and so I, I'm leaning more so to decide that as a result of how stacked that lineup is right now, you have a longer leash if the playoff success doesn't come right away. I think a long t- long-term deal gets signed with the Padres, and I think we see it before the end of the year, really. Mm. Take. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I think he can't be picky with it. You know, he he kind of forced his way out of out of out of DC um, because of I. You know, he says because of the offer, or you know, the reports say because of the offer. I think me and you agree that uh, the the constant losing is a big factor. He kind of hinted at it too. Uh, I think I think the Padres have already proven that they're all in and that they're going to be all in long term. And, that, you know, you, you talk about how they've been doing this since 2020. I think that actually helps the case uh, to get him to resign. You know, they, they've shown that it's not just a, a win now situation that they've even though they've tried and failed, they keep committing to finding the right pieces and building the roster, even if it means giving up assets or giving up a, a lot of money. I'm not sure where, where else he's he's really going to find that. I mean, besides you know a team like the Dodgers or Yankees, but I, I don't I don't really see him going there after the Padres gave up what they gave up. I think they're the Padres probably made that deal knowing that they're going to put a nice offer on the table. The only thing that would give me hesitancy is that Scott Boris is his agent, and Scott Boris usually likes his clients to hit free agency. But you know, he, with Steven Strasburg, he let him sign an extension in the middle of a year. Uh, I, I would think that with two yeah, but look years at that extension that he signed. <laughs> that, that extension worked out fine. The the next contract did not work out. The one yeah. that he's on right now. The first one was in 2016, and luckily mm-hmm. it turned into a World Series and World Series MVP. But a, a, a rough situation right now with him and Corbin. But I, I I do think that the Padres made this deal prepared to offer Soto what he wants, and at that point he's just being picky if they if they don't if they don't agree to it. I, I think they're going to get it done this offseason. No need to worry you, about it. You, so what do you think a Soto deal is going to look like. All right, like, are, are we talking ten? Are we talking fifteen? 
how much money are we talking? Because you know, I know that baseball baseball's not yeah. a capped sport, but there has to, you know, the luxury tax looms large. And if you're over that threshold, I think it's after like the second year, you're paying like 50% of your of your payroll in taxes. Yeah, it depends if he wants uh, if he values years or average value more. And you know, that rejecting that offer would probably tell you he he uh, values the average value of a deal. The 15 year offer he rejected was, I think, a little under 30 million a year. Which yeah, you know, no, we, we talked about that. That's totally fair. Like right. to, to say, hey, I'm a I'm a 30 million dollar a year player or more. Uh, of course, he has the right to say that. But you're not going to get 15 years out of that if you're doing 35 million. I think. I don't know what 15 times 35 comes out to, but I, I don't think do it right now, Dan. <laughs> Dan, you, you liken the Padres to the Rams. Oh my God. Like buying, buying, buying. $525 million. <laughs> is that what yeah, it like, is? That's so crazy. I, I think that he may end up in a situation where he's got to take uh, only an 11 or 12 year deal oh. if he want if he wants that kind of average value <laughs> you know Tatis took a 14 year deal I, I believe it was 14 years uh, but only 340 million so yeah again you know Pennies. I throw around the word only like as if he's, uh, as if he's <laughs> making a big sacrifice but <laughs> but it, I, I don't think he's going to be able to get like Max Scherzer type of average value, if he's going to do a, a, a crazy long-term deal, he's got to choose whether he wants to do maybe a 10-year deal at a high average value uh, or if he really wants commitment until he's 38. But he already rejected close to $30 million a year from the Nationals over 15 years. So, you know, I don't know. The, the, long, the short answer is I'm not really sure what it's going to look like, but I do think it depends on, on which one he prefers. I also think it kind of depends on, uh, believe it or not, I think it depends on what Aaron Judge gets from either the Yankees or someone in free agency because you're kind of, like we talked about before, what was it, uh, when we talked about Kyler Murray to liken you know, this with football. Basically, every deal that we're seeing in any sport is resetting the market at this point. So you, we have to figure that Aaron Judge's contract is going to be, probably not, it's not going to be Mike Trout money, but it's going to be a lot of money and it's going to be, a lot of average annual value because Judge is going to be 30 signing his first, you know, big contract. So I think it really kind of depends on that. I think maybe, you know, if they get a deal together, the Yankees and him get a long-term extension done, it could that could factor in be like, hey, Judge is getting this much. I think I'm better than Judge. Let me get 38 million. You know, like it could be we could be we could see a 10-year 380 to 400 million dollar deal for someone like Soto. And that's a crazy thing to think, but it's kind of just the way that it it's common trend at this point. It's really where it's going. Yeah, especially with quarterbacks in football, every new deal is the one that sends some sort of record with with you know the years, the pay, whatever. Lamar's probably going to set some new record, whether you you know he deserves it or not. But I mean, that's coming up for him. <laughs> Judge, though, and you you mentioned it a little bit, Peter, is the age, and so. If that's going to be the determining factor of what Soto gets, I think it's kind of misleading in the sense that, I mean, you're getting seven or eight more years of prime Soto than you would be getting at that same price tag or a little bit higher than you would for Judge. So uh, that's the one thing I'm kind of hesitant on as well. So I do think whatever Soto gets is going to be, you know, some sort of contract, some sort of deal that we've never seen simply because you're going to be getting a perennial all-star and a generational talent from his age 24 season to the time he probably hangs up his cleats. And that's something that you very rarely ever have the opportunity to do. And if you do have the opportunity to do, 
you better not mess it up. And so I, I think it's going to be some sort of offer that you're going to look at right now and be like, oh, oh, like how is that even possible? Ten years from now, you're going to look at it and say, wow, that's a steal. Yeah. Oh, God. That's crazy. Have you ever gone to um, – there's a website that I saw, an article that caught my eye last week, and it was um, the highest paid athlete from every year from like 19 – I think it was like 1970 to like – now or whatever and it was i i think um it wasn't 1970 i think it was 1980 and it was like dave winfield signed like a 10-year 14 million dollar contract and it was like can you imagine someone like dave winfield like to that caliber signing out like yeah I'm, i'll just take 1.4 every year getting that all money yeah yeah it, it, it's <laughs> if, if you go back 10 years in the nfl and just look at the contracts the quarterbacks were getting it's unbelievable i think oh, uh yeah. Yeah, the A Rod deal. Even even fifteen years ago, you know, when he signed with the Yankees or with the Rangers, I mean that you look at it now, you're like, I mean, yeah, of course you give him that. And at the time, I think that was on Sports Center ESPN for three straight months. Just saying, yeah. how is <laughs> like how is this possible? It's not that far off from what the Braves just gave Austin Riley. You know, who's right. a, a great player, but at that time, A Rod was uh, generational. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's. I, the money, I, I could talk about that forever with the money because it's it's crazy how fast it just on a dime. Like it, even NBA, you know, you see guys getting like fifty million dollars a year to it, it. It's crazy. But I think while we're on the subject of baseball, though, before we kind of like flip the switch, I know Dan, you wanted to talk a little bit about Vin Scully and his uh, his passing. I think since we're on the subject of baseball, it would be appropriate to talk about it now a little bit. Yeah, Vin Scully died. Um... I believe it was Wednesday night they announced it. Uh, fittingly, when the Dodgers were playing the Giants at what the what's now known as Oracle Park, which is actually where he did his last game. Oh, what? Um, no, but he is he is a legend. I mean, we, you know, we all, we all know that, but but I, I don't think there's ever been a storyteller in the broadcast booth quite like him. And I I'm very very fortunate, you know, even though me and him are, you know, he's what seventy something years older than me, that he he lasted so long that I was able to spend all these years uh, hearing him. You know, I'm not I'm from New York. I don't I don't hear locally, but on that just on MLB Network, they play Dodgers games uh, at night all the time, and they they put of course the Dodgers broadcast on because who doesn't want to listen to Vince Scully? And he just he had a way of just captivating the audience. Uh, with stories kind of that weaved in and out of the actual gameplay. It, it's it's a skill that I think very few have, and nobody has done it as well as him. Uh, but, you know, t- two things I think stand out about him the most, and one is the fact that he did it till he was 88, which, you know, like not to compare lives, but like, you know, we talked about Bill Russell's death last week. He died at 88. Uh, the fact that Vince Scully was still working in the booth at 88 is incredible, and he was doing it by himself. I think that's the other thing. Could you imagine – Sitting there by yourself, for, I know he didn't start out by himself, but but spending decades calling uh, three-hour, four-hour long baseball games with nobody else there, and being able to do it beautifully, beautifully, and without falling asleep, even into no, your old think, age. I don't think anybody has that skill. I don't think anybody has that stamina or that skill set. But uh, Vin, Vin Scully also uh, he he went to my high school. Uh, I, I just missed him by like seventy-four years. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I do get to say that I'm an I'm an alum of the same high school as him in the Bronx, and uh, it, it's that's a, a cool connection that I have. I was able to to see his picture on the wall along with the class of 1944 uh, in the hallways. So you know, a little bit of a little bit of a connection that has always drawn me to him. 
you know, cool. yeah. You know, nice you, uh, you you ruined my day on. I think it was th- it was Thursday because I woke up and I came downstairs. I was brewing my coffee at like five forty five in the morning, getting ready to go to work. First thing I open up is Instagram, and I see all sports news posted that Vince Scully passed away, and you completely ruined my entire day. You know, it, it's funny. It's funny how much of it, like, I don't want to say it's funny, but how much of an impact you think, because, like, I saw it and I was like, oh, man, I'm like, Vin Scully passed away? And then you're like, yeah, bro, he was 94. Like, he was. No, I felt the same way. No, I I felt the exact same way. But, like, it kind of, like, pains you because especially since he hasn't, like, we haven't heard too much from him. He lives a quiet life. I don't really expect when he retired an 88-year-old man to go out there buck wild, but. You know, he he lived a quiet life after, and you kind of not forget, but like, you know, I saw that and I'm like, oh my God, like Ben Scully passed away. And it kind of like hit me a little bit as a baseball fan because that's the guy, like, I maybe this is a, a, a hot take or whatever. I can't stand listening to Michael K as, as a broadcaster for the I Yankees. Like I just can't. I, 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 maybe it's not so much him, it's really more so a lot of the people around him, but. Like, I would love, I would kill to listen to Vin Scully, like, every single game. Just him. It's so soothing, too, because there would be times where he would kind of poetically let the sounds of the game kind of, like, take it away. Like, he would, there would be times where he wasn't talking for, like, a minute, two minutes, you know? But yeah, you'd, it just let the game kind of, like, write the story of how it's supposed to be told. And, and like you said, it is just poetic and how he, how he was a master at that. I went back and uh, looked at the uh, when he called the Clayton Kershaw no hitter, and he makes his call at the final out, and that's it. Everything else is letting the the whole scene tell the story. I think that's what he did so perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the Kershaw, I mean, no hitter, but but Scully being around for so long, it feels like every notable historic baseball clip that you know cycles around, you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, for you know whatever the big moment is, it's Scully on the mic. You go back and you look at, you know, his his most memorable calls. It's, you know, Buckner, it's Larson. It's 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 insane just the longevity of of of, of how long he was doing it, how well he was doing it, and, and the moments that he captured. Like y'all mentioned it, y'all hit it right on the head. It was just, you know, he he let the moment, you know, take its turn, you know, cycle through, but the just I guess the the times, the calls, it, it it's timeless. It's crazy. And I think if that's one, if that's a word to describe, Scully is timeless. Yeah, I, I really think so. You, like you said, his his calls are going to live in you know baseball folklore forever because he was just that good. Sixty-seven years in the booth. All right, we're, I'm, I'm making myself sad here. What are we doing, boys? Come on. <laughs> well, then, then let's get to the controversial stuff because we've got some. <laughs> Yeah, this one was. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie, guys. Um, this next topic, if we if we are gonna talk about what was going on with the Dolphins, since you guys are more in the uh, in depth of the news of sports, you know, I think you guys both do that very very well. Uh, I'll kind of let you guys talk about this because I did read your both you know your posts about it, Dan, but I was kind of confused as because it kind of came out of nowhere for me. I just saw it was like, oh, first round pick gone. I'm like, oh, why? So I think, you know, I'll let you guys do most of the explaining on this one because I'm I'm not really as educated in this one. 
Yeah, the NFL did a real nice job of burying this one. They it, they put it out about five minutes after the Soto trade went down. Uh, so I, I do give them a lot of credit ah, for that. Smart. They, nobody nobody buries. Too, I believe. Nobody buries <laughs> bad news better than the NFL. Um, <laughs> but they did take a, a first round pick and a third round pick away from the Dolphins. It's a very rare step. It's the the last two times it happened were with the Patriots for Spygate and then for Deflategate. Um, they took away a first round pick after they found that they tampered with Tom Brady over two years, uh, and they tampered with Sean Payton while he was still coach of the Saints. Um, they Now, they did not find what Brian Flores alleged. Well, I, let me say this. They couldn't confirm what Brian Flores alleged about offering $100,000 per loss. Uh, they did find that that comment was made. They believe it was made jokingly, you know, not, not seriously, not intended right. to be taken seriously, not a serious offer. You know, whether that's true or not, who knows? Um, but I, I, the the harsh penalties, and there is included a six-game suspension for Stephen Ross, the owner, and a pretty big fine. The harsh penalties for that lead me to believe that if they had found that there was a serious effort made to lose games uh, intentionally, that he probably would have been removed as owner. Because I, I, I think the penalties are so severe uh, at this point that for tamp- for just for tampering, that they probably would have removed him if, if they found that. Um, and I know Brian Flores still is still contesting that, and he's still saying that that offer was made. Um, but essentially, what this confirmed is the the reports that have kind of been trickling out since Tom Brady's return to Tampa that they wanted to pair Tom Brady and Sean Payton. They apparently they've had their eye on Tom Brady much longer than even this offseason. They've had their eye on him for a couple of years. Uh, but uh, basically, they wanted to pair him and Sean Payton. And when the Brian Flores thing came out. And all of a sudden, the franchise was fit, was exposed on that front, and they were facing these potential penalties. Uh, that all went away, and he ended up back in Tampa. Listen, uh, I don't blame him for trying to put Sean Payton and Tom Brady together. <laughs> I mean, that would be that would be something. <laughs> it's better. I'll just say it, it's better than than Tua and Mike McDaniel. But now I have two thoughts here. First, the NFL loves six game suspensions. Uh, <laughs> We've seen that over and over. Uh, the other one was, I, I, I believe it was Dove Kleiman on Twitter who kind of put it in a, in a different, I guess, uh, sphere than I would have originally have thought about it. If your favorite team would have traded a first and a third round pick to have the opportunity to have Tom Payton as your head coach and Tom Brady as your quarterback, would you do it? Well, I mean, the fact that they didn't get it, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> fair. fair. Brian but Flores you know, blew it a better opportunity and position to land both of those, you know, brilliant football minds and talents than you would have been otherwise. And yeah. So it was a unique, I guess, perspective to kind of approach this. Again, it didn't work out. So now you're 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 without a first and a third for nothing. But that is something where I was like, hey, like I probably would have done the same thing if I was in a significantly better position and. You know, going back to whenever Brady signed with the Bucks, I do believe his his primary destination that he wanted to go to was the Dolphins. Whatever happened, you know, it, it, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. I, I don't remember. You know, I thought it was San Fran. Because isn't he from I, San Francisco? I think the 49ers were number one, but they turned him down. <laughs> and now they have Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they, they were coming off uh, an NFC championship season. And, and even though Jimmy wasn't terrific, like Brady was – Brady didn't look great in 2019. And, you know, no. mm-hmm. we, we found out if the big reason for that was the Patriots and the way their offense was set up. But uh, 
I, I think Miami would probably be right after. Right. So I mean, yeah, he I, just seems I, like he just seems like the type of guy that would either you know have those those white jeans and the thong sandals on in Miami, or he. I mean, he is a Californian, Californian, so. Like he just looks like that type of guy. Like he doesn't look like a. I, I'm surprised he stayed in New England for as long as he did because he doesn't look like a guy that enjoys cold weather. So you know, yeah, he was done. He's too, he handsome. Was done he's too handsome to enjoy cold weather. Hey, Brady moves <laughs> out west to, to to San Francisco. It's going to be him and uh and Rogers doing DMT in the off season. So <laughs> might have dodged a bullet there. <laughs> that dude is off the like. Anytime, not to get too off topic, but. Anytime that Aaron Rodgers does an interview now, it's must-see TV for me. I have to, I have to watch it. I, I love the transparency by him. Yeah, I'm yeah. I, honestly, I do too. It's kind of refreshing to see it. It's kind of refreshing to see that transparency. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That's so I, funny. I liken Rodgers to Kyrie all the time, just how they, <laughs> they've kind of approached the media recently and, you know, whatever, you know, the, the whole back thing with Rodgers and then Kyrie as well. It's just – it, it feels like the two superstar talents that you, you don't see it very often being this blunt and this upfront with the media. It's in a way it's refreshing, and in another way, yeah. it's just also just great entertainment. Oh, and, absolutely! And they're both guys where you know you, you spend in, in Rogers' case, you spend six days of the week saying like, "What's wrong with this guy?" And then he goes out there and you say, "Wow, this guy's really good!" Like you know, forget <laughs> he makes you forget everything else. Kyrie Irving is the exact same thing. Like you, you just you forget how good he is. Until you see him on the court and he's scoring sixty down in Orlando, and you're saying, uh, "He, he or right, he's special." You know, well, well <laughs> sixty in Orlando. I mean, but, nobody else did it. He's the only one who did it last year in Orlando. That's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, honestly, with the transitions today, maybe besides for going from baseball to uh, football, that was seamless, Dan, because you you, you planted the seed. For NBA, well, it's not NBA talk. You planted the seed for the basketball talk. And this is probably the biggest topic I'd say that we have to talk about would be what's going on with Brittany Griner. Yeah, we uh, something we thought about talking about a month ago. And then we said, well, yeah. uh, more is going to play out. And that's definitely I'm what we, I'm glad we waited. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, it, we let the situation evolve a little bit. And I don't think it's over. Uh, but the legal process is over in uh, over in, in Russia, and she was sentenced to nine years in Russian prison uh, for after she she pled guilty to possession of cannabis oil, which you know it obviously would not be nearly as much of a penalty uh, here in America. So the U.S. It, what, all that's left now is for the U.S. to try to work out a prisoner swap. For her, but uh, obviously there there's plenty of motivation for Russia not to do it. So that yeah. that's that's where we're at. I I just think uh, I have, like I said, maybe a different point of view on this. But let me before I say what I say, let me just say that what I think I think it's ridiculous. You know, the penalty for having cannabis oil. I, th- I think it's it's terrible what's been going on. The fact that she's been detained for. God knows how long at this point. I think it's all awful. It's a horrible experience for her. It, it, it's, you know, terrible. But at the same time, she did break the law in a different country. I think we had that really, you know, that really has to play into it. I mean, if you look at like, say, t- take like Qatar, for instance, like with the World Cup coming up, look at all the 
like premarital sex is literally like against the law in Qatar. And that's something that they implemented, you know, yeah, it sucks. You know, you want to have sex, of course, but, <laughs> but that, you know, it's, it, it's against the law and we have to respect that. And I think that, I think it's kind of crazy for the, like the kind of American way of thinking where it's like, this is preposterous. Like we need to get her out. Like, yeah, I agree. Like she should be back home, but at the same time, she did break the law in a different country. And it just so happens to be like one of the worst countries in the world that she broke the law in. And it sucks. But I think we do have to respect the fact that she broke the law in a different country. And there's going to be repercussions for that. Nine years is absolutely crazy. But at the same time, on the flip side, there are some countries in the world where if you're caught with any type of cannabis product, you could literally be killed, which is wild, but you could be killed. So I I think we kind of have to really go back and look at it through like a telescopic lens to where like, all right, you know, we have to factor in everything. But at the end of the day, I do hope something is worked out to the point where she is just at least back home in the United States. Yeah. You mentioned breaking a law in another country. I mean, it's Russia. Like that's like you mentioned, one of the worst countries to break another law. And so it sucks for Brittany. Uh, it sucks for the, the Phoenix Mercury who, I mean, I mean, Griner was a great player. I mean, that's another distraction that they're currently, you know, going through every single day, fielding questions about worrying about a good friend, a good teammate, you know, someone that they see every single day. It, it's a, it sucks. It, it sucks. And what's wild, perhaps the most wild part about all of this is immediately after her capture, Russia fires up the trade machine is like, all right, like if you want her back, like here's what it <laughs> That's crazy. You just see Roger Goodell going across the going across the stage with the draft noise in the background. Russia has <laughs> traded. <Yeah>. It's like <laughs> it's kind of like what they did. I don't like to make a joke out of it, but like, yeah. I, I never would have imagined something like this ever happening. It's it's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she she broke a law, um, but you know, in, in that sense, I guess she's a political prisoner because she's kind of being used as as a trade ship. I mean, which is, you know, it, it's the, it's the, we laugh, but it's the reality of the situation. She's, yeah. she's a literal asset uh, for, for Russia to get a prisoner or prisoners back from the United States. Um, but, you know, I, I, I mostly, I mostly do agree with you, Peter. It, she, she, she did break a law in a country that is notoriously harsh on uh, on you know petty offenses uh, and of course her being american and you know her being uh, a woman and and of course a, a prominent figure are all things that that kind of count against her and and, and taller than pretty much every russian man out there too yeah <laughs> you know she's got she's it's like she's got everything working against her and a system that is already against you if you're not russian or even if you are russian so but you know listen she it, i think it goes to show not to get on the soapbox or anything, but it, it goes to show that we we enjoy a lot of uh, a lot of good things in America that we that we would not be able to enjoy in other countries. And um, you know, she she was one of those one of those people who kind of derided this country. And um, we are not a perfect country, uh, but man, we we have a lot a lot going for us compared to places like Russia or you know North Korea or Qatar or any, really anywhere in the Middle East that'll punish you for these things that. Uh, we're we're lucky enough to enjoy every single day. So we actually we forgot to mention the biggest part of why Russia probably did this as well is she's a member of the LGBTQ plus community, and that is strictly prohibited in Russia. That is like the 
the biggest offense. And, and right. that that's also another reason why too. And that's just, it's, it, I'm not even trying to sound funny. It's just the perfect shit storm for Brittany Griner. She, like you said, she has just everything working against her to where, of course they're going to use it. Like they're not like, it's a Russian court. They're not looking at this like, oh, it's just cannabis soil. It's like, here's this gigantic woman who just so happens to she be breaking a couple of Yeah, she checks every box yeah. Russia despises. Yeah. And like you said, it's the perfect storm of just disaster for her situation. Yeah. Very unfortunate. I think the biggest box is well-known American. You know, not, not saying she's like LeBron James or anything, but she's well-known enough uh, – among sports fans, you know, even even NBA fans who who don't follow the, the WNBA, I'm sure they know her name. She's well known enough that she's leveraged now. You know, it's as simple as that. She does have everything working against her, but the biggest thing I think is that she is uh, an asset. She's leveraged against a country that they're, you know, kind of in a in a proxy war with with the U.S. helping out Ukraine. So. Yeah, it, it's everything working against her, and that's another reason why it's terrible timing. Uh, yeah. Now, that's that's another thing I kind of wanted to ask because I just wasn't wasn't sure as well. Now she's been going over to Russia to play for a few years now, right? I don't, and, I don't um, know how long, but you know, it, it's, I think it's been at least a couple of years. I think. Yeah, she's been so, playing internationally for a while. I don't know exactly where, but I'm assuming. So, I think it has. I think I I read a report. You know, it could be false. Could be true that she has been playing in Russia for a year or two or a few years, whatever it may be. But you got to figure if she was traveling with it this time, she's been traveling with it before. So now I feel like just everything is amplified to the point where it's like, oh, well, you're technically breaking the law. You're American. We're in a war with Ukraine and you're helping Ukraine. Like, like now we're just going to take, like you said, basically just a political prisoner. Like they just want something from us they're gonna come down on her with the harshest penalty possible for something so minuscule which is it, it's just it's just a terrible situation and and like i said we got to respect the fact that she did break the law in a different country but also i feel like if she was going to russia years prior she probably was carrying the same stuff with her as well and maybe it was a slap on the wrist or a fine to pay whatever it may be but now, you know, it, now it's just a, a horrible situation for her. And I, I genuinely feel terrible. I mean, that uh, Russian prisons could not be fun. One of the last places I'd ever want to end up, that's for sure. That's the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe I'd... she'll come back with a fresh perspective then. Because <laughs> yeah, things she are a lot so better you, over here so, than over there. So what do you – so, like, as of right now, I want to get – kind of like gauge what you guys are thinking so are we are we going on with this thinking that her WNBA career is over at this point i i think she'll be back i think she'll get back back. it's just it just may not happen immediately you know it maybe it won't happen while while this conflict is going on but um you know i i it's a lot harder to uh to project this trade than other trades in in sports I'll say that, but but I, I don't think she's going to spend nine years there. And you know when she comes back, she's going to be, like, revered by the WNBA. And what is she, yeah. 30, 30 or something like that? Some, something be, around there. She'll be she'll, – I'm sure she'll be uh, – give her give her some conditioning time. They'll, they'll probably welcome her back with open arms, especially for how good she was. Yeah. Yeah, and Dan, you, you did say, you know, it, it's an unpredictable trade. I think the worst thing going against her is there's no trade deadline, you know? like Right. Yeah. It's a nine-year window, basically, and that's almost even more unfortunate is that there's no, I guess, real 
boundary of work against getting her back home. It's all up to whether or not Russia agrees to whatever terms that the U.S. comes to, to release her. And that sucks, you know, because like you said, her being such a, a prominent figure, it, that value is just going to go higher and higher. And there's no, I guess, real driving force to get her home any sooner than when, whenever they decide. So Maybe the United States will use the first and third round picks from the Miami Dolphins to sweeten the deal. Send them over. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I thought about it while you were talking about trades, and I, it just it was too perfect to, to too not good. say. <laughs> but um, yeah. And now here we go. The transitions are crazy, gentlemen. Absolutely crazy today because now we have to talk about the last thing that's on our topic list. We have to talk about Deshaun Watson and these six game suspensions that the NFL just loves to give out. <laughs> it's freaking crazy. I mean, this is a, another thing, another controversial topic, but how could you, how many women was it again? I lost count at this point. Uh, it's 24, what? maybe 24. In what other job can you be accused of sexually assaulting or sexually abusing 24 women? And it's like, ah. A slap on the wrist, six game suspension. Like that is, it's just so crazy. And and this is just another, another point for the NFL in terrible suspensions. I mean, how many times have we seen something horrible, whether it be domestic violence, whether whether it be you know felony assault charges, whatever it may be, and it's just really like a slap on the wrist. It's 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 crazy to think that uh, DeAndre Hopkins for a trace amount of performance enhancing drugs got the same game suspension that Deshaun Watson did for being accused of sexually assaulting 24 women. Like, let's put that in like a Petri dish and examine that for a second. Well, yeah, the one that always gets thrown around now is the Calvin Ridley suspension, which I understand you should never gamble. The, the integrity of the games at the all-time you know, highest uh, you know, importance. But when you're injured and you, you gamble, what was it, twelve or $1,500 on, on your team to win in a season in which yeah. you're not participating in, you get a 17-game suspension, which results in, I believe, $10 million of lost income for Ridley. And you liken that to 24 instances of or allegations of sexual uh, abuse. That's ridiculous when you put them side by side alone. And then also, you, you dated even further back, and this is what – almost in a different time, seven years ago, but the Josh Gordon suspensions for we 25 games, which is wild. So yeah. the, if there's ever a thing that the NFL is very consistent on, it's the inconsistency <laughs> of suspensions that they hand out. And we're seeing it again with a six game suspension for what's been a, a, a even wilder storm of, you know, disastrous allegations towards Watson. So leave it to the NFL to just be horrible at, at, you know, delegating suspensions. And what's unique about this is it's not the, it's not the league deciding it. It's the league petitioning an arbitrator and also Watson's team petitioning an arbitrator. Um, and so it's been known for a while that the, the league itself, while, while they're the ones who help choose this process that sends it to an arbitrator, uh, that they want an indefinite suspension, which probably would just come out to a year. Um, they still want it. So they're, they're still trying to get that on appeal. I don't think they're going to get it. 
Um, but, you know, Watson, the thing with the arbitrator is what makes it a little unfair is Watson's camp got word of that, that they wanted a full year. And so they're like, oh, well, we're going to push for no games then. Because, you know, you, yeah. you can't say like, oh, we want six games. And if the NFL says 17, now they're going to meet in the middle at 12 or something. They should have pushed you know, so, for a lifelong ban. They should have been like, yeah, you know so, what, ban him for life. So, and then so they'd be like, oh, all right, we'll take a year. Like, <laughs> yeah, so if you want zero games, now the arbitrator is like trying to find the middle point between those two. Um, but so, you know, the I'm NFL, not good at math, but six games is not in the middle. It's of not 17. the middle. Well, well, you know, her, her, but what she what she based it on was precedent, which is kind of it's also kind of a, a problematic system, because how are you going to change the way suspensions are handed out if you have an arbitrator that's basing every big suspension on precedent? You know, we all know that the NFL's precedent with suspensions is bad. Uh, if you came out with an arbitrator in 2016 to decide somebody's suspension based on the Ray Rice and you know the two the original two game suspension what are you going to come out with nothing so <laughs> if if you go to this arbitrator and you two quarters you restrict her to a point that she's got to do it based on precedent and the precedent that's already been set is not good you have a bad system in place and i, I you know i understand that the league wants it to be longer and i i, I i'm assuming they're probably going to get it to be longer based on the appeal but the the system that they worked out it's just not working right now, at least not for them. It's working for the players. Yeah. Um, and, that, you know, what, what she said to the arbitrator is that it was it was a non – what was it? Non-violent uh, – allegations of non-violent sexual abuse, which, you know, it's a loose definition of non-violent, I think. You know, because, like, it wasn't, it wasn't rape. Like, nobody's, nobody's alleging, like, actual rape or anything like that. And I guess yeah. that's what she's getting at. But, um, you know, it kind of seems like she's passing it off when, yeah. you know, as, as not as big of a deal when, when she calls it nonviolent, especially when there's, there's 24 allegations. And I know not all of them can be substantiated. But, yeah, it, it's a, because of the whole system with this arbitrator, it's a very unique situation. You know, I, I can't help but think that this also makes the Browns just look that much more comical as an organization as well. Because not only did you, I mean, trading for him is fine. You know, uh, you know, w w get what you pay for, essentially. Like, you knew that these allegations were coming. But then you give him that lucrative, humongous extension while this is going on. Just really makes you look like you don't give a flying you-know-what about what's going on off the football field. You know, it, that to me was the biggest thing when when – when Dan broke that news to me via Instagram, I don't even think we really knew each other then. Um, you know, I was like, that's crazy. I'm like, this hasn't been solved yet. Like you're going to, you know, and that's all guaranteed, right? I'm not, I'm not remembering that wrong, right? That, that contract is basically all guaranteed. I don't even remember how much. I think it, I feel like it was like, I feel like it was like years ago at this point, but <laughs> But yeah, I'm pretty sure it was all guaranteed, and you're you're just hitching your wagon to a guy that it's like, yeah, you know, he's just he's just whatever he is. It's all allegations at the end of the day, but it's bad press. It looks bad, you know. And then the NFL is just looking worse by basically kind of sweeping it under the carpet, and it's like, all right, we'll let someone else deal with it. Like, you know, six games, whatever, that's fine. And I, I just think that it, it's just a it's just a really messed up situation. And at the end of the day. Deshaun Watson's going to be all naughty in his back everywhere because he's never going to be able to get a massage anywhere else ever. So, you know, it, it, it's just everyone loses at the end of the day, and that's that.
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens though with the appeal, you know, because there's two factors to it. There's okay, could it be? Could the suspension be longer? Uh, and I, it probably will be. But the other thing is, if if the appeal comes back and then Watson uh, contests it, you know, and, and sues the NFL and tries to take it to federal court, is he going to be able to play this year? Like, is he going to play? Is there a chance he could play all 17 games if he? kind of kicks the can down the road and puts this in court because that's exactly what happened with uh, Tom Brady. He was able to play in tw- he was able to play in 2015. He actually he lost his appeal of the suspension and then he took it to court and it was overturned. Uh, then eventually it was reinstated by a court the next year, but the season had already been played out. Uh, and Ezekiel Elliott, I I can't tell you how many times I posted Ezekiel Elliott uh, either his suspension being reinstated or it being overturned or or no not, not overturned but but uh, delayed uh i think i think this was in 2017 it probably happened 10 different times that that he was suspended and then not suspended and then it was put back in place and he eventually served it i think toward the end of the year the back half of the year um do we have you know are we going to have a situation like that where the suspension whatever it turns out to be on appeal keeps going in and out or just gets docked to 2023 because of this federal court process so yeah, that's going to be an interesting situation to watch, whether the Browns might actually have him on the field for more than we expect, or if they don't have him at all. I don't know. Yeah, my, the last thing I was going to ask you guys is is really what do you think, like, maybe what do you think the suspension should be, and then what do you think it's going to be at the end of the day? Well, this is a loaded question because it could go <laughs> a number of any ways. When you hear – I guess the severity of 24 allegations, 24, that's a number unlike anything we've ever, we've seen in an NFL, I guess, world when it comes to this type of situation. We, we've never seen that high of a number, mm-hmm. all alleging the same thing towards one player. Never seen that. And so when you, when you hear 24 names, 24, uh, you know, women come out and say that you have to think it's going to be a, at least a year. That was my initial reaction. You see how many women he affected. There's no way he plays in an upcoming season, at least not for an entire year. Like I, I thought a year was a minimal. Mm-hmm. So when I saw six games. I was like, all right, there's probably a good shot. Like, like Dan said that he plays earlier than we, than we think significantly more often than we think. And it, if it does get pushed to a court, there's an opportunity for him to, to be on the field week one, which is crazy. Can you imagine the PR shitstorm that's going to be if Deshaun Watson suits up for the Browns week one? And there's no better organization <laughs> get, to deal with that than the Browns, huh? Yeah. I, you know they who they been? face week one? Baker Mayfield. Yeah. You're right. How perfect Yo, would that Can be? you imagine? Like, I'm, I don't care what it is. If we know that Deshaun Watson is playing week one, and they're playing Carolina. I am hammering the Carolina Panthers. Flex, it's a prime time. Give us what we want. I'm, I'm putting a thousand dollars on the Carolina Panthers to win that game. I Baker's think I said revenge that. game. Can you, can you imagine like Baker like throws like 500 yards, like four touchdowns, and Deshaun Watson like 112 yards and three interceptions or some shit like that? That's the lock <laughs> of the year. You know, That's you know they still go. They'll still go like six and eleven, but they'll win that game. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> I'll be rooting very hard for my new friend Baker Mayfield, and so that that's 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 something I'm I'm very much rooting for. Uh, the other thing is you, to answer your your second question, Peter. How much do I think he's going to get? Eight's the max, I think. 
Like what we've oh. seen, I, I just don't see him getting any more than half of a season because of mm-hmm. because of how it's already played out. It's I, I I wanted to go to that Ezekiel Elliott suspension in 2017. Obviously, being from Dallas, that was something that you know shook the Cowboys uh, fan circles. It was a disaster for a while in 2017. The precedent of the NFL suspensions that we've seen, it, it's almost like however these suspensions are decided, you go to a tab, you're like, all right, what did they do? You go to the tab and you just drop down and you're like, oh, six. Like that's just how they're being decided now. Zeke got six. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's almost like they don't take into account how big of a situation it was, and that's why I don't think that he gets any more than half of the season. Again, I out of have benched his ass for an entire year. That like that's the minimum I would have I would have thought was you know likely for him, but I don't know. I there's just no consistency ever. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. I mean, this is what I was thinking. I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's going to be definitely not going to be a year at this point. Right. It's not going to be a, a year suspension. I'm thinking maybe max ten games. I think he gets a little bit more than than half of the games, or you know whatever it may be. I, I think that's probably the max that we're looking at. Um, and yeah, another thing against the Browns organization, because you already know because they're paying him all this money. If he's available week one, he's playing. There's no moral justification where it's like, you know what? Uh, I feel bad for these women. He's going to sit. That's not what's going to happen. It, it's going to be, he's either suspended or he's playing. That's it. There's no, it, uh, oh, you know, you, you, you messed up, Sonny. You have to sit and think about what you've done. That's not exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be, all right, lace up your damn cleats and get out there. <laughs> You're going to play. Dan, I'm sure so you, I, you experienced this very early in, in running ASN, but I learned one of the first lessons I ever learned in the sports world, especially in football. People don't care how bad of a person you are, how bad of things you've done, if you're scoring touchdowns and putting points on the board come Sunday. People don't care. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, that's the truth. I mean, you know, because because it doesn't, you know, it, not to say not to say me, but it doesn't affect us, right? You know, when these guys do these things off the field, it doesn't affect the fans. Uh, but when they when they win, and when they help your team win, it affects us because we root for them. So you, we, we, yeah. we root for those teams, and we always have. Yeah, I mean that's the the quandary of it. But uh, you're right. I mean, especially in the NFL, especially uh, if if they're a difference maker they're probably going to find their way back to the field. I mean, look at, you know, Kareem Hunt. I mean, it was a surprise when he was released, but by February he was signed again. Right. Uh, and he, he got a, he got his suspension. I think it was eight well, games. Needed a kicker. <laughs> he got, he got his eight game ban. I think it was. And they, the Browns swallowed it and they, they brought him back week nine or week 10 or whatever it was. And they've, they've run with it. I know he's in the news today for other reasons, but um, yeah, the, in the NFL, it, it seems like, you know, unless you're Aaron Hernandez, if you, if you do something bad, you're going to end up back on the field unless you're not good enough. And that's why I think Ray Rice wasn't, wasn't allowed back, not allowed back, but wasn't signed again because he was terrible that last season that he played. He, he was yeah. very inefficient, uh, in 2013, 2015 would have been seven years out since he was drafted his eighth season. If you count the year, he didn't play. Uh, running backs have a short shelf shelf life, uh, and I think that's why he wasn't signed. And different situation, if you want to go to Kaepernick, um, the point that I made back then was if 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 it was Russell Wilson who did exactly what Kaepernick did, said the exact same things in 2016, and then he became a free agent, 
uh, he would have broken the bank. He would have got. He would have been the highest paid quarterback in football if he became a free agent. Kaepernick went unsigned because the the his talent level did not outweigh the baggage. And I'm not saying the baggage is is his fault, but the talent level did not outweigh uh, the media storm that would have come with, with it. it. I agree. If he was if he was Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers and played like that, he would have been signed in an instant, and he would have had 20 teams coming after him because that's what that's how desperate teams are for a quarterback. Uh, but you yeah. know, if you're not up to that level, there's a, a certain point where your 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 talent does not outweigh what you bring. And for somebody like Deshaun Watson, the Browns believe that the talent does outweigh uh, the baggage that he comes with and the things he's done. Yeah, and it's abundantly clear that he is when he is playing, he is a top ten quarterback talent. There's no denying that. You could even argue top five when he's really really on. So, I mean, from a Browns perspective, yeah, it's it's definitely worth it. But now, I mean, I'm just thinking about it like this, and that'll probably be the last thing I say on it. It's looking less worth it now because of the price tag that he came with, the assets that you traded for him, the crap that he has come with, and the fact that there's a chance that he doesn't even play a substantial amount of games this year. So maybe in the long run it will be more worth it, but right now it's not looking too great. Yeah, that price tag that you mentioned, $46 million guaranteed fully guaranteed as you brought up earlier peter through 2025 and so if this is a a, a cloud of a messy cloud i'll leave it at that if this is something that's going to linger around for a while it's at a hefty price and and so like yeah. you said you know if the touchdowns do come on sundays and brown fans are you know able to to, to put on their jersey every sunday and go root for this for, for this team i mean he better deliver otherwise it's going to be you know, a quick, swift exit. You know, I, I feel so bad for Browns fans because, like, they finally have a quarterback that's, like, you know, top 10 level talent. And you know that he's going to, like, find the wide receivers. You know that there's going to – you know that the Browns are going to be good if Deshaun Watson is playing well. And it's like now we're all just going to harp on Browns fans for cheering for their team when they're, like, winning or Deshaun Watson's playing well. It's like what gives with these guys? Like, they, they just get no luck whatsoever It's with anything. Oh, and the, the the weird part of this is they they kind of you know they they had to assume he was going to going to be suspended for a bit. They probably assumed it, or at least feared it would be even longer than this. And when you think about that, they kind of threw away a year, like intentionally. You know, they they know that this year, if Jacoby Brissett starts more than the six games, you know, if the suspension gets lengthened or anything, they're they're not going to win that much. I mean, they're playing in a division that doesn't offer them any room. You know, with the Steelers are always competitive. The Ravens will be better. The Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year. Jacoby Brissett starting half the year basically sacrifices your season. So th this is a move that they're they're looking at 2023 and they're saying, well, it's going to be worth it then in 2023 and 2024 and 2025. I don't think they're they're really betting on this year being the year for for them and for Watson. But uh, you know, it, it, it's a move made with the future in mind and not just right now. So I, I bet that they're hoping that this suspension just gets over with this year. And doesn't get pushed off by by court proceedings or anything like that. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. There's always a one storyline that the NFL character. I'm telling the the NFL is the greatest soap opera in on TV. Like it's just it's just a perpetual soap opera every single year, and and it captivates the audience every single year. So I'm ex I, oh I was going to say I'm excited to see what happens. I don't know if excited is the proper term to use, but. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds, but um, yeah, that's that's all I got to say on well, all I got to say on that. We've been talking about it for twenty minutes, but 
<laughs> finally unloaded what I had to say about it. Like you said, NFL, it's a never-ending story. It, it's a, it, this is why we love the game, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, well, not for the not for the allegations, but yeah, sure, this is sure. why we love the game. There's always something to talk about. Every week, yeah, exactly. every week, no matter what time of year. Believe me, oh, I, man. I live it. Dan, I've always seen that. What's your screen time? What's up? Uh, screen time. Uh, well, it's it's not good. No, I, <laughs> I I hate those alerts that like my phone gives me about like oh your screen time was up from last week at you know twelve or thirteen hours a day. Yeah, it's not great. Um, uh, yeah. I always get the uh, yeah your 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 screen time is down eight percent to like nine hours and thirty minutes. I'm like <laughs> nine hours would be awesome for me if I could get it down to that point. <laughs> I, I always Damn, tell myself I was, I'm gonna I'm gonna make an effort to lower it, and then it turns out that the, the days it actually goes lower, I'm just looking at my laptop instead. Yep. You know, it's, yeah. it's, like, it's like my phone. You know, I haven't used my phone for the past hour while we've been doing this. I bet it's gonna look really good at the end of the day. You know, without without it knowing that I've been staring at, at you guys for an hour, which which I like. But, oh, uh, oh, Dan. Listen, you got to do what you got to yeah, do. Yeah, you know, you're in St. Martin right now. Yeah, you'd rather be staring at us than, than being on a beach. I would. Don't tell <laughs> yourself short. <laughs> CJ, right, man, well. uh, we really appreciate you, have, you coming on and uh, being the co-host for the entire episode with us. Really appreciate that, man. Absolutely. This was a blast. Yeah, we look, we look like forward to having you back on. Too. Yeah, I, I, if, you know, CJ's always welcome on. I, I told them that from a couple of years ago. I, I wasn't really uh, as firm on my promise because this is the first time I'm seeing him since then. But hopefully I'll be a little bit better with this one this time. But um, CJ, man, can't thank you enough, man, really. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Dan, you go enjoy some sun, my friend. I will try. That's the I'm going to enjoy this nap that I'm going to take after I'm done with this. <laughs> you earned it. <laughs> And I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I check out your your quarterback video that you work twice as hard on. Oh, so we can't let that we can't let that go to waste, right? Uh, seriously, and you know what? It's doing terrible too, and it just makes me so sad that like it it it's just not like. I think I'm just gonna chalk it up as an L for this episode for, <laughs> for that for that video, and just be like, all right, I'll try again next week. It's an A for effort, though. <laughs> yeah, I bet you won't ever not record again, though. Valuable lesson. Oh, it's oh, it terrible. Absolutely terrible. So, uh, yeah, definitely going to hit record next I'm time. Hopefully. I probably won't. I'll probably forget again. It's all right. <laughs>